Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. It is our custom to uh, go around and introduce ourselves. Uh, you can introduce yourself by your first name only, or both first and last name. And um, as a way of slowing us down and practicing mindfulness, I'm going to suggest that we say, uh, my name is before saying our name, and then uh, waiting a minute after uh, the person before you speak. Maybe take a breath after the person before you speak, and then say, my name is. My name is Ray Dyer. My name is Joe Rodriguez. My name is Peter. My name, <clears throat> my name is L. My name is George Hubbard. My name is Bob Siegelton. My name is Elliot. My name is Joe. My name is Lou. My name is Dave. My name is Peter. My name is Lee. My name is Andre. My name is David. My name is Jay. My name is Harley. <coughs> My name is Jim. My name is Daniel. My name is Michael. My name is Ron. My name is Anthony. My name is Kevin. My name is Ron. My name is Peter. My name is Larry Wish. My name is Reggie. My name is Clint. My name is Peter. My name is Jose. My name is Esmeralda. My name is Jack Busby. My name is Dave Max. My name is Ray. My name is Jerry Jones. I'm Ed Eng. My name is Cage Lilia. My name is Jason. My name is Paul Shepard. My name is Dave. My name is Richard. My name is Harvey Whitten. My name is Brad. My name is Mark. My name is Carl Is there anyone who's here for the first or second time or returning after a long absence? And uh, please join us for socializing after the sitting and the talk. Uh, and just a reminder to old timers to uh, welcome the newcomers. Our speaker today is Joe Rodriguez. <clears throat> Joe is a Zen Buddhist practitioner who is curious about applying Buddhist principles to all areas of human life. 
Following the teachings of Suzuki Roshi, Reb Anderson, Jack Cornfield, and Pema Chodron, Joe practices conducting his everyday activities, including participating in a business meeting, going shopping, sitting in zazen, discussing politics in a more mindful and embodied way. Joe. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you should see me going Zen shopping. It's really fun. <laughs> um, well, first off, I, I want to just um, thank Jerry Jones for um, inviting me to speak here today. Um, uh, I have so much respect for GPF and its pioneering role in spreading the, gar the Dharma in the um, gay community. You know, um, uh, I live about five minutes from here, and sometimes I pop on down here for... Uh, uh, Sunday Zazen, and I'm just always uh, reminded how lucky I am to live in San Francisco and be part of a, a gay Buddhist Sangha. Um, it's really an unusual um, situation we have here, so I just love that. I also want to acknowledge um, some of my friends came here to keep me honest uh, during this uh, this topic, so, so thank you for that. Um, this past winter, when uh, Jerry invited me to speak, um, I wrote him back and said, um, I, uh, I want to do something that um, I'm actively learning about, um, something that causes me great personal suffering, and something that's just juicy and, um, and interesting to me. So, um, the, um, so I proposed the topic. Um, a spiritual approach to dealing with quote unquote difficult people. And for me, this is a really personal and relevant topic. It's, a, it's an issue that's really been up for me in my everyday life. Um, I notice my agitations with people, but probably the biggest agitation I've had is I have a business partner and we have a three person consulting firm. And this person is. Um, an amazing person, talented, um, hardworking, smart, um, supportive, but she can be a really, uh, she can really be a total butthead too. And um, she can be controlling, domineering, constantly interrupting my partner and I, as well as our clients, totally defensive, and shut down when you try to raise these issues with her. So I wanted to find a way to talk to her about these issues, thereby taking our partnership and business to the next level, and do that in a, a spiritual context. So I used this topic and what I was going through in my personal life to see what I could learn. So does any of this sound familiar? Uh, without naming names, can anyone uh, give me uh, an example of a difficult person in their life? Okay. This couldn't be any more apropos for me because uh, because my sometimes lover uh, is is very much like this, and uh, it's been ten years of deciding whether I am the one that is too sensitive. So for me, uh, for me, this has been my practice to be patient in this whole circumstance, but one keeps wondering, well, is it is enough already, you know? I got it, I got it. I saw another hand over here. 
another example, someone in their life? Yeah. Well, I was uh, present in my condo situ uh, <laughs> condo uh, building, and uh, this woman who was a real troublemaker uh, wrote a letter to the attorney general uh, attacking me, and um, it really freaked me out because I didn't want to pay for a lawyer to defend myself, so I quit. And actually, the attorney general's office couldn't care less about what she said. Great. Those are great examples. I think. We all have people that um, we feel cause us suffering in our own lives. I'd just like everyone to pause just for a second and think of someone in, 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 you know, in your life that you feel is difficult. And as we go through this uh, conversation today, see if you can apply that. So just, just take like uh, five seconds. Okay. So before I go much further, I just want to make a few disclaimers up front. Um, first off, I'm a meditator. I'm not a psychologist. So I refer you to professionals if you have a specific, uh, really big problem. Secondly, in particular, if you were in an emotionally abusive or physically abusive relationship, please protect yourself and quickly find a nonviolent way to end this abuse. Um, some of the things I, I don't want, some of the things I um, say today to be taken that you should put up with abuse. And then lastly, as we go along, feel to make remarks and share your um, experiences, and I will take formal questions at the end of, of, of this little talk. So um, what is a difficult person? Um, anyone want to throw a definition out for... Uh, what constitutes a difficult person? Someone. Yep. Someone who's not not adhering to the social contract we all have with each other. Great. That's a great. People that do not listen and do not hear. Excellent. I saw a hand over here. Yes. Someone who pushes my buttons. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Um, well, some of the, you know, what I did is basically I, I started reading as many books on this topic. I started taking a couple of workshops, and I came across some definitions that, I, that work well with these. So here are three that really got my attention. Difficult people are beyond our control. They, they have been making people miserable for thousands of years. And, you know, I love the beyond my control part, so that's, that's really juicy. Second definition. People who have the following dysfunctional personality types. Uh, the battle tank, the whiner, the passive-aggressive one, the yes person, the pessimist, and the know-it-all. As my uh, psychologist friends, he calls these personality disorders, which I guess is the correct term for difficult people. Thirdly, and this is one that really gets, I, I really resonate with this one, a difficult person is someone who causes us to feel things we rather not be feeling. I really thought that was interesting. It starts implying some responsibility here rather than something just out there. I guess in the case of my business partner, I'd call her the dominatrix. One of the books I read um, claims that 10% of the population is difficult. So 10% has one of these personality types. But interestingly, 
Interestingly, another article I read claims that most people are difficult 10% of the time. My immediate reaction, well, that's not me because I'm a loving guy and I'm a Buddhist. <laughs> so, you know, more about this a little later on. What are the common traits of difficult people and situations? Well, I think you guys captured some of this. One is insensitivity. So focused, they're so focused getting, on getting their needs met, they don't consider others. Two, inadequate communication. They are controlling, aggressive, or passive in their communication with others. We heard that one there. And lack of caring. They don't track what others feel. They live in their own bubble. Yeah, my ego says, well, these guys are barbarians. <laughs> but further, my research into the subject is most uh, difficult people don't have bad intentions. Most often, they're acting out of their own um, unconscious emotional pains and needs. In other words, they're so involved in their own narrative or storyline, they don't think about their impact on others. They are unconsciously running from or compensating from their deep emotional wounds and their behavior follows. I can really relate to that in my own life. There's some days where I feel like really, it's very cloudy. So back to my business partner, I could clearly see that her intentions were not bad. She is the fifth child of six in a family of noisy boys and jocks. She had to be very aggressive to get attention and learn to be very loud to survive. So let's keep looking and going uh, at the subject from a Buddhist perspective. As the Buddha said, we have basic goodness. Only our delusions are obscuring our true Buddha nature. One of my favorite teachers, Suzuki Roshi, from the Soto Zen tradition, taught that we should use everything in our lives to wake up, including difficult people. He saw everyone as multidimensional beings with basic goodness. And not having all good behavior, not having all bad behavior either. As he used to say, we are perfect just the way we are. We all have a little room for improvement. Mm -hmm. And I think that captures you know, both our humanity and is a call for humility too. And one of the best books I read on the subject Thank you for being such a pain. The author, the author Mark Rosen debunks the idea of treating difficult people as a phenomenon outside of ourselves. He writes, the pain and frustration we are suffering and we experience with certain people are just as important for our personal and spiritual growth as love and joy. Adversity is our teacher, pushing us past our resistance and teaching us what we would fail to otherwise learn. I, you know, wow. So wait a minute, you know, my ego's like, hey, you know, it's about them. I don't want to take responsibility for this stuff. Um, you know, I didn't like these words when I first read them. I wanted, um, I wanted part of me, part of me wanted to be justified in my anger and my resentment against my business partner. And part of me wanted to discover some really shortcuts to controlling her behavior. Rosen goes on, healing requires us to be attentive to the spiritual lessons life provides us. The best response does not involve retaliation, fighting back, 
and enduring the difficulty, walking away or giving up. The true resolution only comes when you finally learn what the other person is teaching you. So the author is suggesting that I have to do some personal work here. That there might be a spiritual lesson buried in the situation on my business partner. So as a follower of the Buddhist way, it became really clear that I needed to do some personal work and take inventory of my stuff. Paying too attention uh, to what's going on inside of me and to my behavior, not what someone else is doing. And after a few months of observing and being very honest with myself, I came to the very challenging conclusion. Yes, I too am a difficult person at least 10% of the time. And uh, I think my friends here probably can attest to it. And I noticed my difficult behavior came up in these situations. You guys might be able to relate to this. While driving, I'm notoriously impatient with slow or unskilled drivers. Two, when someone is... Um, someone unwant, um, someone um, is mindlessly invading my own physical space, like on a crowded plane, or bumping into me at a dance club. Three, while working with someone I perceive to be incompetent. And four, and the big one, while talking politics with someone who completely disagrees with me. In other words, someone who is a conservative. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'll say a little more about that. Any any examples for you guys that come up, like where you become difficult that anyone wants to share? You don't have to. Yes? It's fairly hard for me when people come up with profound prejudices. I have an immediate response to either want to challenge or pull away without to stay present and open and available Particularly prejudices that have to do with ethnic groups or um, whole bodies of people. It is hard. It is really hard. That's a good example. Well, anger begets anger, <laughs> and it's really difficult to put a lid on that. Yeah. Yeah. Any any other examples? Yes. Somebody who talks for the sake of talking without thinking. What you're going to say is make any sense or, or it has any yeah. I think we all can uh, <coughs> come up with examples. But this last area I'm going to go into, this, this idea of politics. I'm not going to talk about my politics. I'm going to describe how it's triggered me and what I've learned from that. Um, for, so my friends who know me, this is a topic that I take very seriously, often too seriously. Um, and then in this wonderfully colorful and unpredictable political year, um, I've had many opportunities to become angry and expressive. The plain truth is I've been getting into arguments with complete strangers, <laughs> hijacking dinner party conversations, critiquing political arguments of even some of my dates, and generally not knowing when to shut up. Honestly, Looking back at my behavior since I was very young, I can see how my political passions and good intentions have often escalated into outright combativeness. Maybe the best example of this happened um, late last year when I had a blind date with a guy 
who turned out to be a twice George W. voting and now John McCain supporting Republican. What a surprise. You should have seen my face when he told me he was a Republican. I tried my best to be on good behavior, but I quickly lost my cool when he contended that the country can't afford universal health care, especially after mentioning his private plane and arriving in a Lexus SUV, underline the SUV. Yes, I became one of, like, I became one of those blowhards on the McLaughlin group. <laughs> Increasingly loud and indignant, scaring the people at Pete's, berating his lack of participation in the gay rights movement while enjoying all the benefits. So it was really causing quite a scene at Pete's as things went on. To make matters worse, he really stepped into it when he started dissing my Latino brothers and sisters as illegal immigrants wanting to educate their children in our schools and using our medical services while giving nothing back to the country. That's when I started attacking his character for being greedy, racist, and shallow. Oh boy, I was in the middle of it. Clearly not my finest moment. And underneath all my self-righteousness, I was really ashamed. Um, not because of my views, because of my, my, insensitivity, my insensitivity, my lack of skillful communication, and my uh, lack of caring for him. So who is the difficult person now? Where does this, so I thought, where does this behavior come from? Um, I mean, this just keeps on coming up in my life, dinner conversations and various things. I thought, it, I thought about it for a while. And um, all roads led to my family, especially my dad. The same wonderful man who inspired me with the ideals of JFK, Martin Luther King, and RFK, and who was raised by my fiery and great-grandfather after his parents' divorce. You see, my great-grandfather was um, one of the first union organizers in the coal fields of Spain. And ultimately, he was put on a boat to America at gunpoint and told never to return. He was such a loyal Democrat that he would never allow a Republican into his house, for any reason. For the men on this side of my family, progressive politics are a tradition, and they are a very rough-and-tumble sport. Sitting around the family dining room table as a kid, I remember listening to my dad hold forth and a variety of political issues, with him taking opposite sides when I spoke to help me think and hone my debating skills. So I was trained to do this. Unfortunately, at the same table, when my mom shared her views, my dad often dismissed them as naive or somewhat stupid, hurting her feelings. So I learned this is what it means to be a man, to stake out your arguments and fight them to the bitter end as if my self-image depended on it. I started thinking about all my social occasions over the years when I had been inappropriate by going off on a diatribe or dominating the conversation. And I really have a lot of regrets about that. I think, you know, these reflections have made me more compassionate for the difficult moments of others. So in this way, I can actually understand the suffering of my business partner 
and it got me thinking, what's the best way to approach her? How would I have liked my friends to talk to me about this? So as the primary season wore on, I closely watched myself and caught my behavior as best as I could, meeting and examining it, not fighting it. I still had some political eruptions, but I hit the pause button more and more, witnessing what was going on within me, seeing the old patterns, the need for control, the need to be right, the need to win. I could see clearly I was my dad's son. I talked to my mom about this problem, and to my surprise, she says, Dad doesn't do this anymore. He's learned from his mistakes and listens to almost everyone's opinion, well, except those people who, um, who are anti-gay and criticize his two gay sons. My mom revealed about 25 years ago, after I left um, for home, or I left home, she firmly told my dad uh, never to demean her political ideas again. And he hasn't. I also decided to go right to the source and talk to my dad. He was listening quietly over the phone and encouraged me to be more accepting of other uh, people's opinions. And he told me, you know, when he examines his life, he feels like he's wasted a lot of time um, uh, trying to change other people. He says it's great to share ideas, but trying to change people is just not his business. He said he was wrong in the past, and he regrets some of the friendships that he lost because of his behavior. I thought this was a huge thing. So I have more empathy today for people, for difficult people, seeing beyond their behavior and seeing myself in them. Simply, we don't know the troubles others have seen. We don't know their experience. And a case in point is um, one of my friends um, is a real drama queen. And it's not, it's not you, Joey, who has a drama queen. <laughs> um, this, this is a guy who's really in pain. He churns through both friends and jobs just constantly. I think we've all known people like this. And as I learned more about him, I found out that he was born to a single mother in Vietnam. His, um, and he had to deal with the social disgrace of not having a father in, in a society that was very tight and traditional. And then after the Vietnam War and the U.S. left, they were really poor, and he had to, his mom made him go out on the street and beg for food. And then when, they, um, when he was eight years old, he left Vietnam with his mom as a boat person, and they were bobbing around... Um, the sea for about, the sea of Thailand, I think, for about 10 days. And um, he watched as his fellow passengers were both raped and killed by marauding pi uh, pirates. That's a huge thing for an eight-year-old boy to go through. And while it doesn't excuse his behavior, it sure helps explain it. My attitude toward him has softened, even as I keep clear boundaries with him. This friend and my business partner both show me places inside myself that need attention. And I think this is my really big insight that I want to share with you guys. I don't regard these people as other anymore. I don't like the term difficult people. I insert and prefer to refer this uh, 
area as difficult behavior. I am more curious about what situations can teach me rather than see myself as the hapless victim. And just because I have aroused my compassion doesn't mean I let myself physically or emotionally be abused. Having healthy boundaries is a very loving thing to do for others as well as yourself, just as my mom did. So um, that's a little bit of my personal journey. And what I was able to do during this time is um, I kept a list of all the approaches to difficult situations that people suggested as I was going through the literature. And uh, I have a few to share with you, and then I'll open up for questions. The, the first approach is doing nothing. Ignoring the situation, stifling feelings, pretending it isn't happening. And, but you know, for me, that approach, by avoiding problems with other people, you only create more problems for yourself. Um, I think that's, that's pretty, uh, self-evident. Fighting back and escalating things is, a, is another approach. But as Tindad Han says, retaliation only sows more seeds of sorrow, leading to war and self-destruction. And I think the, one of the things that I, I, I that was called out in the literature I thought was really interesting is fighting back, and there's sometimes you need to physically protect yourself or, or um, dialogue with a person, but I'm talking about really emotionally going at it, much like I did in my in my blind date situation with the Republican guy. Is is fighting back involves blame? If you could hear um, the, what I related in that conversation, I started blaming him for all these things. And blame, which you know is problematic, is the other person is likely to hear one of three things: that they are incompetent that they are a bad person, and three, that they are unworthy of love. And you know, people close down when they feel they're being judged. There's just no way you're gonna have much of a conversation. The third um, approach is being nice. I think we've all done this, complying or placating behavior. For me, it doesn't serve anyone in the long run. In the process, you tend to lose your self-respect which is also very corrosive. And I think the other thing, this is sort of like the social contract you have with someone that you're interacting with, by not saying this hurts, they may, they may do the very same behavior again out of ignorance. They don't know that. The last, uh, the last area in this group is called leaving them. This is a strategy, uh, I, I call it rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic strategy. And I tend to notice that, um, that I tend to pick up in a new relationship where I left off in an old one. So whatever my stuff is that I'm running away from, you know, I pick new people thinking it's going to be different this time. What happens? I, the same stuff reappears. So those are four things I don't really recommend personally. I think... Um, the next three require more wisdom and skillfulness, representing a middle way between doing nothing and retaliation. And again, I, I kept on looking, you know, one of the things that had stopped me from doing anything with my business partners, I just didn't know how to skillfully have a conversation. I thought I might get into one of these blaming or fighting back, 
and escalate things and destroy the partnership, which is actually going pretty well, and I really like her. So here are three different approaches that I came across, and um, all of which I've, I've used in the last couple of months. The first is nonviolent communication, or what other people call respectful confrontation. This is an increasingly popular approach that takes some practice. And rather than like give you the whole thing, I'm, I actually did four easy steps in discussing a, uh, a difficult topic, and that's a handout that really um, um, that's based on the nonviolent communication work. Um, in this technique, you notice your feelings when you are in a difficult situation. But rather than lash back, you stay non-reactive and non-combative as possible. Um, Pema Chodron talks about this a lot, and she's a famous Tibetan uh, Buddhist teacher, and I, I really love her work. And she, she talks about being a log, letting emotions and feelings sweep over you like a summer shower. And what she's saying is not to really tune into those feelings, but choose very carefully how you act on, that be on those feelings. Be mindful of your behavior. <coughs> Anyway, this, this uh, handout uh, talks about that. The, uh, the second approach that I think is a little more skillful is uh, loving them, and, or a loving kindness practice. Um, cultivating the habit of asking um, yourself, why is this person behavior so difficult? What is going on for them? I think almost any person I know or any situation I know, once I know a little bit more about them, I can understand where they're coming from and have more compassion. Again, it doesn't mean I necessarily put up with it or don't have uh, proper boundaries. I just have a strategic frame, and I can be more like a, you know, a, a keto uh, guy. When someone comes at me, I could just step aside and not get too snagged. I think one of the challenges in this whole area is getting fixed, and it's like I'm going to show them, you know that sort of self-righteousness and that sort of like, um, that's fixed quality. And a fixed quality for a human being, whether it's in emotions or relationships or even physically, isn't a really good thing. It leads to calcification, rigid stances. And um, I think the, you know, the smartest and the greatest warriors have been people who have been able to step aside and work with things. The second point of this is separating the person from their behavior. So um, rather than, well, let me, let me just tell you what happened with my business partner. This is what I did, and I actually used this nonviolent communication model. So I, I called her up and I said, listen, you know, I'd like to talk to you about something. Can I come over? And she knew something was up because, she, like I said, she's incredibly defensive. So we went to lunch, and then afterwards I said, you know, um, there's been something I've been wanting to talk to you about. And that is, um, I've noticed, and this is where the uh, nonviolent communication model says, you just describe in the barest terms what is going on, what is their behavior. I've noticed that when we've been in the last three client meetings, when I start talking, you start over-talking me. And you, in you interrupt me and the client. And, it, you know, this makes me sad, so you describe your feelings in addition to the behavior, and um, I'm not respected by you. And um, 
I also don't get this is, I feel like this isn't your intention. And I actually want to feel closer to you. So my request is the next time we're in a business meeting just to pay attention if you start interrupting me. And uh, can you do that? And she, uh, she could tell that I had, I had approached this in a very soft way. And she was really, um, she's really moved by it. And she, you know, she goes, I am really so sorry. I really, this was not my intention. And I'm definitely going to work on it. And it's something that I've noticed, but I'm glad you're calling me out on it and talking about it. And she goes, and then she looked at me and she says, why do you think I do it? And because I was sort of studying this, I had, and studying myself, I thought about my own sort of journey and my little political rants. I said, well, you know, you're the fifth child of, out of six, and um, you're, you grew up in a pretty crazy environment. I met your brothers when you had your 50th birthday party, and they're a rowdy bunch. I could barely get a word in edgewise. And, you know, you're a girl, you were, you know, a girl in that situation, you had to have really sharp elbows to be heard. She goes, yeah, I think you're right. So, um, her behavior still happens, just like my behavior of like, um, you know, when I read the Huffington, Huffington Post or uh, watch McLaughlin Group, I'm still shouting at the TV sometimes. But I'm, I'm aware of it, and I'm working with it. And my friends who have been incredibly patient with me, and they, they, see, they see my passion and my actual, how much I care about this country, so it's great. But they've been very patient with me. And there's been a few occasions where I've sent emails out, you know, just apologizing for my behavior, taking responsibility for it, and totally apologizing for it, which I feel like is my, my business. So, um, and I think, you know, one of the other aspects about loving kindness is being clear and firm in saying no. I think this is a thing I think that's sometimes harder for gay men to do is have a clear no, especially around people that we are close to. And I don't know if that's because of our moms or whatever. I'll leave that to the, the, the shrinks in the room. But saying no is, is very important to be able to love someone. If you have a firm no, we can also be very loving, too. And um, that's something that I think is really reflected in this whole area. And then lastly, you can see this whole talk's really been about this, is changing myself, feeling and processing my emotions with curiosity. So when I get stuck, and I was driving um, down to the Apple store to buy a new iPhone yesterday, and I, you know, I've been down there three times, and the, and the frickin' line is still four hours long. I just noticed that. And then someone was blocking my way um, as I was coming out of the parking lot, and I noticed that. And I'm like, okay, impatience. And just, just playing with that and, and um, just being curious about that. And I think seeing everyone as my teacher, even the annoying clerk at the uh, video store, is really helpful. You know, it doesn't have to be me up here talking, but everyone's our teacher. And then I think probably the... Um, one of the best examples of a friend of mine is, in and how he's changed himself and some of the things is, he laughs at himself a lot in the areas that he's difficult. And having that laughter and humility, and um, 
I think the people I respect the most are people that are have somewhat difficult behavior and they laugh at it and they just make jokes about it and it diffuses it because it allows them to call out and say, yeah, you know, I'm doing that, but in a very lighthearted way. So in summary, for me, dealing with difficult situation involves a clear choice. Do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? For me, if I get beyond the blame game, own my own emotional stuff, set clear boundaries, and respectfully communicate with others, I am much more likely to be happy. Like all things that are worthwhile, this is a practice. It requires some effort and an open heart. It requires the willingness to see, as Martin Luther King described, that all men are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. It also requires us to let go of our grievances and heal the deepest human wound, our sense of separation. Those are my formal remarks. I'd be glad to take any questions or, um, or, or remarks. Thank you. Very interesting. Uh, <laughs> the, the phrase, a difficult person, immediately set it off an echo in my mind. I'm a physician. And in my training in the early 70s at a VA hospital in Connecticut, we had a conference on the difficult patient. Uh, the faculty had said to the trainees, myself and my colleagues, put on a conference, or pick a topic, and you know, come up with something that's relevant to you. Don't let us make the topic. So we got together, and the VA hospital is filled with alcoholics and nicotine addicts. And so we came up with this uh, notion that uh, we're going to talk about what our what the difficult patient was. Thirty years later, I am a, a specialist in addiction medicine, um, totally unconscious. But I'm wondering if the very first step was taking an interest, somehow they're seeing that there was a problem, and something starts to shift. Now, I had no, I, at, at that conference, I didn't come out of there and say, hey, I'm going to go into addiction medicine. It took time, right. and a lot of it happened just probably because of a shift in my own attitude. A patient then disclosed to me that she was recovering alcoholic. Oh, that's interesting. And one thing led to another, and you know, as they say, thirty years later, so, this is my specialty of interest. So be careful. Um, <laughs> you may have just opened yourself up. Thank you. And I think the point there is that curiosity, you know, and that curiosity is a Buddhist practice in anything um, that is that is juicy and impersonal. It's like bringing your attention and awareness right to that that subject and 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 as as much as possible not having a lot of judgments or at least be mindful of them yes well thank you for the topic you, you got a big smile out of me when you introduced it because a couple of weeks ago I went into a meeting with one of my Dharma teachers and I said I'd like to talk today about my feelings about dealing with difficult people and he said oh great Let's talk about your difficult feelings dealing with people. <laughs> Touche. Touche. Awesome. Richard. Yeah, could you say a little bit more about uh, having a firm no and maybe give an example? Well, you know, um, 
actually I did a retreat where actually we, we, we were in sort of a martial arts sort of stance and we just had to keep on, um, we had to convince the other person. They, they were supposed to role model uh, some craziness and we were supposed to say no. And I think um, what I, I got out of that, the emotional resonance out of that is this. Some people say no and it doesn't really mean no, it means maybe or I'm not sure. But, you know, I think it's sort of, this is where we activate our uh, spiritual warrior, is where when we say no, we mean no. And saying no and being clear about that doesn't mean that we're out of touch with our love. It just says, no! And, you know, it doesn't have to have this sort of uh, angry or hateful quality to it. It's actually... You know, with kids, you know, working with kids, when you say no to them, they actually feel safer sometimes. That's the best way I could describe it. Have you asked the uh, No, but you know what? What was interesting was about that was um, I felt so bad I wrote a letter of apology. Um, and he thought a lot about some of the policy things I had talked about and he took responsibility for that. And um, he's an engineer at Apple. I think I'm not giving too much information away. And we've actually kept up a lively email correspondence about business and things that we actually have in common. And we just agreed to disagree on some of the other things. But I'm not demonizing him anymore. But man, when I came back, I was writing emails to a friend. You won't believe I met this gay Republican. Can you believe this shit? Yeah, blah, blah, blah. It was, it was pretty hysterical. Have you thought about going to a log cabin meeting and being quiet? <laughs> I think my friends who know me that know that that's probably not going to happen in this lifetime. <laughs> yes? Um, I just actually yesterday or Friday just finished a business relationship with someone that was really difficult, like it just in craziness, like where they presented documents that I would sign off and have notarized, and then they would say, well, I don't want the documents you printed out, even though they were from their attorney, and I had to go back and, you know, just craziness. And so in, in bringing up emotions with my therapist around, why can't I, like I can see this behavior, and it's obviously uh, crazy. But it's still sticking, and, and we kind of came to the realization that that I can't accept in others is which I can't accept in myself, in my craziness. So, I, did you find that concept at all? Yeah, I mean, the reason I told you the story about uh, you know my own political righteousness is it's really about that. I mean, I, I actually, if someone had asked me six months ago, "Are you a difficult person?" I'd be like, "Absolutely not." I have my moments, but I would be like. Um, but when, by actually inventorying them and noticing them and going, going home and writing them down, I'm like, oh, I just did that. Mm. Um, I, you know, I realized, wow, I'm, I'm, this, is, this is my work too. And you know, I, I describe those personalities like the whiner and this and this and this. I think we all have those voices in our, us and we activate them at different times. But I really like this idea that instead of 10% of the people being difficult, that we're all difficult 10% of the time. I think there's something, you know, that, that I, that's our common humanity. Um, and, and I think it allows us, 
Because anytime we start putting it off on other people, we make them other. And I don't care what high spiritual tradition you're talking about. When you create other, you create wars, you create anger, you create divorce, you create all sorts of things. And um, I think, you know, the Buddhist practice is coming back to saying we are one. We are, you know, we're part of the same stream. When you approached your business partner about how she overrode situations, did you share that part of yourself with her? Well, she knows that part of myself. We actually, we go in and advise companies and CEOs to, uh, we don't use Buddhist terms, but to be the highest, the best organizations they can be. So this is part of our practice. You know, this is so, to, to, I mean, I was pissed at myself for not talking to her about this for, for months, but I didn't know how to talk about it without escalating into a blame fest. And uh, that was where my curiosity was, you know. And I gotta say, this nonviolent communication model, my last uh, long-term boyfriend dragged me to this workshop and I was like, oh, I'm not a non, I'm not a violent communicator. Why am I going to this workshop? And, um, and I think we both learned how we could improve our communications and everything, so. There's always room for improvement. You know, like, like Suzuki Roshi says, perfect way we are, always room for improvement. I was raised in a very much male family. I had a good dad and three brothers, and of course there's the Boy Scouts and high school and the Army and a male college, and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I've learned how to get along with men reasonably well. Uh, I've had a terrible time with women, not the least of which my mother was a real bitch a lot of the time. And uh, I, I find that my way of getting along with women is just to completely avoid them as much as possible. And that's particularly true in the last uh, few decades, although I was a, certainly a member of a pro-feminist uh, uh, group for many years, too, <laughs> until I caught on. Uh, do you find the differences in your work between uh, men and women Sure, there's a lot of differences, and I find uh, differences between gay men and straight men. You know, and you can start slicing that thing pretty um, in different ways. Um, I, I think it's I think it's good when there's something that uh, all I would just say is this: is you know, if you have difficulty with women, um, you know, um, or if something that you, you're not that familiar with, learn more about it. And, and, and look at some of the underpinnings, you know, what's the knowledge in that area? And like, you know, there's books about how women communicate differently and, and what's important to them in ways. Not to change yourself, just so you can bridge the gap. Because to me, I don't want to demonize someone. I want to actually find a way of, of keeping the dialogue going, keeping the love going, keeping connected. Yeah, you mentioned, uh... The, that people are difficult, like their behaviors, and uh, I think that's that's true in terms of negative behavior, which um, I just can't muster to tolerate, and then I have to make boundaries on it. But a lot of what I perceive quickly as negative behavior is behavior that I have difficulty with, and it isn't the behavior inherently negative. It's um, my inability to uh, deal with it. And if it's something small, then I, I really try to uh, work with it. And if it's something big, and I feel this is going to take years and it's not fair for this relationship uh, you know, to 
to do a slugfest for a couple of years, then then I I make uh, my boundaries, and uh, some people stay and some people go. But and but I I've never um, looked back on making boundaries. I just because I always felt better afterwards, like it was the right thing. Right. Because I would contemplate them for a long time. I think that's very well said. And I, I, you know, again, like the Buddhist path is about perception, changing our perceptions of ourselves, getting back to that basic goodness of ourselves. And I would just say, when you're trying to discern someone's behavior or something, not to judge it, but to understand it, is like, ask yourself this, are they coming from love or are they coming from fear? And it's, it's usually been a really great litmus test for me. Joe, will you be available to talk to people after the sure. session? <clears throat> we need to move on. Um, do we have a host today? <laughs> I did put on some hot water for some like there was a vacancy. Okay. Are there any uh, Sangha-related announcements? Well, just a heads up, this will be in the newsletter. Um, but we are having our, our kind of quasi-annual uh, DBF picnic uh, in um, Tillman Park. Uh, it's, it's August 9th, I think. It's, it's, it's that week, it's that Saturday. I think, I think it's the 9th. Um, so uh, as, as it gets closer, I'll, I'll provide information. There will be information available for people who are interested. But just as a heads up. I'm Jerry, I'm the coordinator for you. And uh, in two weeks, I want to remind everybody we're doing Poetry Day with Dean Bellamy, and everyone is asked or requested to bring a piece of poetry, prose, or sing a song. It doesn't have to be Buddhist-based. You can bring anything out of the sharing here, whatever you'd like to. And then next week, we'll go back to Ray Dyer. He's going to be facilitating a workshop for us, and he's going to talk about yeah, I'll just say, it's about touch and medita as meditation, paying attention, uh, applying some of the principles from meditation to interacting with another person. And um, it's a very safe thing. It may feel threatening to you to be involved in this, but you will not physically or in any way be unsafe, but just notice what your mind is doing. You know, your mind may tell you this is not safe, but in fact it will be a safe situation. Uh, and for those of you that don't want to participate, there will be the option of doing a discussion group, a small discussion group about the topic or whatever you want to talk about. So, If you have touch issues or resistances, I would encourage you to come and experiment because it, it is a safe place to uh, experiment. Any other announcements? Yeah. Yeah, my name is Michael. I'm the uh, coordinator of the annual GBF retreat. Uh, it's going to be happening in just over two months at Joshua Pine Institute, September 19th through the 21st. There are registration forms out there. They're bright orange. And um, if you have any questions, please ask me. There is scholarship money available. And we're, uh, I took over coordinating the retreat last year. And after about three months of trying to find a teacher, gave up on trying to find a teacher. And we did something different, which was to just kind of mine the 
the wisdom of the Sangha and have people share, uh, share their own wisdom. And I think we stumbled on something really special, so we're going to continue that tradition this year. And uh, let me know if you have any questions. Since there's not hosted today, the host normally makes certain announcements. Um, I, I, remember, I guess wash your teacups if you use them in the sink as provided. Um, we recommend a donation between five to eight dollars to help keep this thing going. More if you can, less if you can't. Um, sometimes people meet afterwards to go out to lunch together. They meet outside and they're interested. Did I, did I miss anything? Sign up sheet. Oh yeah, there's a sign-up sheet for uh, if you want to have to be on the mailing list. Uh, we just put your name and address and other information. Yeah, there's a pink. Sh there are pink sheets there that you can sign up to be on the mailing list to receive the newsletter. You can indicate if you want to receive a hard copy in the mail or just an email copy or both. And there's also a column if you want to be listed in the uh, GBF directory indicate that with a check mark or yes, and uh, if you leave it blank, you will not be listed in directly. Yeah. A reminder that our talks are available on the internet at the GVF website, gaybuddhist.org. Any other announcements before we close? Okay, um, Joe's gonna lead us in closing. This is, a, this is a short one, so I wrote it out this morning. We join in the circle to see and share our basic goodness, knowing that we are safe, healed, and whole. We are free to forgive and free to save the world. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.